My name is Jacob Stoops, and you're listening to the Page Two Podcast, my podcast about the reality of being an SEO in which I chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the industry. Today, I speak with Matt Osuch, VP of Audience Development and SEO at Ziff Davis, the brand behind Everyday Health, What to Expect When You're Expecting, IGN, PC Mag, and Mashable. He's yet another former colleague with 20 years of experience, mind you, who was willing to come on and support the podcast. I thank everybody that has come on so far. It's been awesome. We discuss how he began as a designer, developer, database administrator way back in 1999 and eventually transformed himself into a career SEO. We also talk about what it's like to do SEO and content on a massive, massive scale. We talk about how to teach and not only teach, but develop trust with larger teams of writers so that they can optimize content in the right way and how to identify and optimize for new trends in the marketplace uh, with big publishers there. The trends are coming at you quickly. Uh, We also talk about how life can get really real sometimes and how Matt specifically managed to persevere after his son was born with a life threatening heart defect. So get locked in for some great conversation about SEO and life. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is Jacob Stoops. I am here with Mr. Matt Osuch, VP of Audience Development and SEO at Ziff Davis. How's it going, Matt? Going great, Jake. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, lo and behold, another former colleague. I am just wrangling everybody that I used to work with and forcing them to jump on late at night and talk to me about life and SEO. So I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on. I've been enjoying the podcast for the last couple of days, Jake. I have to say I've been binge watching or binge listening. And uh, I think it's great to hear from some of the team members that we've worked with in the past and also people I don't know uh, and hear their stories. I've been really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, it's um it's been it's been really cool. It's been for me it's been fun to get get the podcast up and up and running and I'm I think getting to the point where I feel like I've got enough content to actually start promoting it myself. I've been kind of keeping it on the down low until I work out, you know, the 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 kinks, so to speak. Um people have been sharing sharing their individual episodes kind of separately, but uh haven't promoted it yet. That's going to start soon and uh I think it's. I think people are actually beginning to um, engage with and enjoy the content, which was something that I didn't know. If if I didn't know if people would like it going in, and I think my audience is niche enough to where maybe they'll like it. Absolutely. Um, anyways, enough about me, uh, Matt. Let's talk about you. So, who is Matt Osuch as a uh, person? What do you do? Who are you? Uh, I feel like the Renaissance man of uh, digital marketing that just happens to specialize in SEO. Um, so, uh, first and foremost, you know, um, I'm a father uh, of a husband. Uh, I have a, a six-year-old daughter turning six in a week and a three-year-old son. And uh, uh, my wife, uh, I love dearly. Um, they, they keep me uh, happy and insane uh, in the late hours of the night or in the morning. And uh, I think that's that's one of the things that I used to think of myself as a digital marketer first. And um, never really thought of myself. Uh, I thought I could be a family man, but I, I never thought that would be my primary function in life. And I'm happy to say that that is what it's turned into in the last couple of years. 
Um, my background is that I went to Villanova University for um, computer science. Uh, before I went to uh, Villanova and had decided that computer science was the thing I wanted to do, I worked as an intern at a small digi uh, digital marketing and dial-up company, local dial-up. Oh, yeah. 566. Uh, Watch out. Um, and uh, did a little bit of tech support there, learned a little bit of the ropes of what basic HTML was and some very small digital marketing or, or it was, I mean, back in the day in the late nineties, you know, digital marketing was uh, tough to come by as, as a profession, uh, just getting its real roots in the ground and uh, decided I wanted to go to Villanova for computer science after a semester, uh, went into the computer science realm and um, enjoyed it, had a great time with it. And, uh, Ended up, you know, after school, uh, going to a small startup in financial services, uh, who I'm actually consulting for now, uh, which is great to get back to uh, seeing, you know, the baby that you, you, you set out into the world a long time ago, coming back around and, and applying new strategies to it. Um, but uh, my foundation came as working with that first startup. I was uh, the general webmaster. I had just finished uh, computer digital marketing, uh, digital webmaster classes and, and, and writing and more of a programmer kind of background. Um, I was doing front-end, back-end design, development, uh, database administration, and, uh, you know, some, I don't know, whatever digital marketing was back in 99, 2000, 2001. And um, I got approached by this uh, snake oil salesman. Uh, right, right, Jake? Uh, this snake oil salesman called an SEO and yes. an SEO agency. Oh, well. Oh, well, Mr. SEO agency. Sure. Do that free assessment and take me out to lunch. I don't mind. Um, mm -hmm. So it turns out after a week of them doing their assessment, they came back and they were just a startup. They were only about four people. They said, um, Matt, we really like what you've done with the website. I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure everybody does this. You know, you got to do it to, to um, get in front of search engines. And I've been doing that job of general webmaster for about three or four actually four or five years. Um, and they were like, no, not everybody does this. Like, no, I don't believe you. Everybody's got to be this diligent if they want to get in front of search engines or, or Google. Well, it was only Google at the time. And um, they're like, no, in fact, we're really impressed with your work. We'd really love if you came on board and worked with us rather than us working with you. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know. So everybody does this. Doesn't everybody? You know, no. We'll show you a couple clients. We'll have you moonlight for a little bit, do a little bit of work. So I did. Little did I know I was good at SEO. Uh, I had just been doing what I thought was diligent work as a webmaster, designer, and developer. Um, and it was actually earning position and rank and traffic and uh, search and uh, started doing it for some other clients in the automotive business and um, uh, moved over to that agency, uh, a smaller uh, agency that was only four people at the time. I was like the fifth guy in the door and really excelled. I was a developer slash SEO and little did I know I could also sell SEO. Uh, I developed a, a personality with my boss that um, was nurturing nature, kind of like SEO friendly first uh, kind of point of view, not that snake oil salesman thing that we always talk about in the industry. And um, we grew the company from five people to 45 people uh, in a matter of five years. Uh, had a bunch of uh, clients, I think over 100 clients or accounts. Um, and uh, progressed through that for about six years, wanted to grow even further. I had read for years about this company called uh, Avenue A Razorfish. I read about them in Wired and got really excited when I was approached by one of their sister companies, Rosetta. And um, one of my favorite words in digital marketing, Jake, I don't, I don't know, maybe you've heard of this, 
um, recontextualization. Really? When, when Avenue A and Razorfish, uh, when the head of their company was interviewed on what digital marketing is, what, what is it they do? Uh, and they said, recontextualization. And the interviewer was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. So, um, you know, I, I got it on board with you and the team. Uh, very happy to work on that account for a while. And then um, made some iterations, made some changes and moves over the next couple of years and uh, ended up at Ziff Davis recently, about two years ago, uh, focusing on a very large group of publishers. Uh, some great names like uh, PC Mag, um, IGN, Internet Gaming Network if you're a gamer. Uh, what to expect when expecting if you've had kids. Uh, Everyday Health. Offers.com, BlackFriday.com, uh, and now it's morphed into this thing where you know at the agency before I was doing I was like the head of digital, which was paid search, SEO, content writing, and dev, and I was very focused when I went to um, Rosetta on just SEO. It was kind of like stay in your lane. And that always bugged the crap out of me. I was like, no, analytics, no, uh, design, no, <laughs> let's touch everything. Yeah. I was the scope creep guy. Uh, and I still am today. Uh, I learned, I credit that to, to my previous boss. Um, and uh, now at um, Ziff, we operate as if we're an internal agency, kind of helping all the different brands from top down as uh, industry best practices. So uh, I've been also getting into audience development uh, as far as uh, demand generation for uh, social, social amplification, paid uh, traffic creation. And it's really been great. I I've had a lot of fun with it and, and uh, I, can't, I can't ask for more. People pay me for what I do and I like it. So I have it on good authority. And by good authority, I mean because you're my Facebook friend that you <laughs> love Star Wars. Um, I would say about your love of Star Wars. Look, <laughs> I did not name my son Luke because I like Star Wars so much. I know that's the assumption that everybody has about my love of Star Wars. Um, I happen to name my son Luke because uh, my name is Matthew. My brother's name is Mark. Uh, my brother-in-law's name is John. Oh, the Bible, hey, the four horsemen. Yeah, and I'm not even... I'm not even that religious. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the saints, the apostles, I thought that went well. It just so happened that I love Star Wars. Um, I am a big Star Wars geek fan, uh, fanboy, if you will. Um, but I, I will say that I'm not the most extreme geek. In fact, the most recent movies that came out, I'm lucky I caught it that it was still in the theater. Um, but you did catch it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, but I, I didn't want to go with the crowds and masses and be uncomfortable in the, in the you know, stadium seating. I wanted to really enjoy the experience. So, yes, I, I've had a love of sci-fi and Star Wars and Star Trek. Uh, I credit my father with that. Uh, he was a big scientist. Uh, he, pharmacy. My mom's a nurse. Um, uh, it's, it's just I, I love all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, and the reason I bring that up is because it is, it's actually a little bit fresh in my mind in that my in-laws have recently asked me to bring over Star Wars and because they have either never saw it or don't recollect it. And I'm because of all of the new, new developments versus the prequels and I have some of it and not all of it. I'm like, well, well what do you mean? 
do you want the original? Do you want the prequels? Do you want the new movies? And then please like, be more specific. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, and I'm like, well, do I explain the order, how it really goes, or like how it goes sequentially, or do you want the 1970s movies, which are actually four, five, and six, and then they made this new movie, which is seven, but then they made Rogue One, which is like four and a half. Oh, it's it's like four point nine. Great movie, by the way. I finally saw Rogue One the other day. Awesome movie. Really, yeah, really enjoyed I, it for the best. My wife wanted me to classify it. She's like, well, where does this fall and everything? I'm like, it's 3.9. Yeah, right, right. It's like one, two, three, three point nine, four. Because yeah. it happens almost I got it wrong. Yeah. hours. It happens almost hours after or before four hits. And then you have like all of the cartoons that have developed in the entire kind of yeah. canon and uh, history and everything that is kind of pulled together from the entire Star Wars universe. I find fascinating. And I've been also getting into with Game of Thrones coming back in April. I don't know if you watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been kind of binge watching uh, Game of Thrones, like fan theories. There are a lot of YouTube channels that talk about Game of Thrones, and there are a lot of YouTube channels that are about to be shit out of luck when Game of Thrones <laughs> goes off the air. They've got I don't know how much revenue coming in and how many visits, and there's nothing else to talk about. Although I, they are they are they are, are ordering a pilot for a prequel series, but for the most part, nothing more to talk about after the six episodes coming in April. But yeah, I mean, having gone from a small startup to a startup agency to a large agency with amazing enterprise level clients to a large publisher group. I've experienced a lot of different variations in content creation. And I agree with you. I get a lot of those um, uh, Google Chrome suggested stories to read. And because of the things I do, like what to expect when expecting, I get a lot of maternity stuff all of a sudden, or if I'm working on another brand for a couple of weeks, I get a bunch of tech stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been getting a lot of, for some reason I've been working on IGN um, which does a lot of gaming and movies, uh, and a lot of Avenger um, yeah, yeah. Like theories. And I am, I am the one person that stays completely away from any spoilers, theories, fan fictions. Uh, uh, I want canon only, and, and don't surprise me. I mean, even the trailer that was on the Super Bowl, I was like, do I want to see it? Okay, it's fine. Yeah. Um, I don't follow the Marvel Universe or DC Universe very closely, but the movies I've, I've enjoyed very much. <laughs> So let me ask you this. Let me let me tie this discussion all the way back in now. Uh, you know, with you've got several really large publications that are churning out content almost nonstop. From an SEO and a marketing perspective, how, like the, you've got not just one bear. You've got, as I'm counting them, like one, two. Three, you've got like five different bears that you've got to wrangle and get their, get the SEO strategy going in the right direction, get the marketing and the audience strategy going in the right direction. Like, how the hell do you do that? Well, you, you teach a man to fish. Um, I, I think that you don't uh, have to touch every single strategy every day, thank goodness. We do have individuals that are extremely skilled at those levels in the editorial uh, departments that run in, in different patterns. I know a lot of the clients we've worked with before um, have not had an editorial chief or editorial lead um, that has always been either present at the brand or not. Um, but the majority of the publications, because they're publishers, their core is content creation, PC Mag, IGN, What to Expect, Everyday Health, uh, Offers.com, uh, you know, Black Friday, I'm trying to think of others. Um, you know, those sites have been writing and writing was at their core. So it's, uh, 
it's unlucky that these individuals are open to receiving education on a quarterly basis or annual basis um, on the newest SEO tactics, and they're able to take that information. And we also make tools internally at our own like internal agency kind of view um, to maximize Google Trends or RSS feeds or BuzzSumo feeds or whatever the newest tool set happens to be that we can import, create an automated dashboard out of, and output that data to them on a daily or weekly basis so they stay on the cutting edge of where content is growing and uh, what my boss calls hockey sticking, you know, taking that, that rocket plunge upward um, in interest uh, to stay in front of them. Another brand, Mashable, uh, Mashable.com, um, that is, you know, always on cutting edge of um, mm-hmm. pop news and culture and, and tech. Uh, and uh, it's really amazing how those teams kind of keep up with the material. So a data-centric editorial lead and directors uh, and editors will do the job for you as long as you also help them as much as you can with the data access that you have availability to. So so let me ask you this. I've got a lot of questions. Um, (laughs) One, when it comes to teaching, teaching a man or woman to fish, right? The old saying, um, question number one is how do you do that? And two, is, okay, how, how do you hold each other accountable, right? Because if, if they're not following your best practices and results aren't there, you can point the finger at them. But if you're not giving them the right best practices, they can point the finger at you. So how do you, like, how do you hold each other accountable to make sure that you're doing what you need to do from an SEO and a marketing perspective in that in that your best practices are being implemented and how do they hold you accountable to making sure that you're giving them cutting edge advice? Sure. So I think we collectively have two um, goals in mind. Uh, They're they're cheeky goals, if you will. Uh, One is keeping your job and two is keeping your boss's job. Uh, so you want to enable yourself to meet the company's goals and expectations, and you want to enable your boss to be able to say, uh, great job, uh, we're meeting the company's goals and expectations, or, or you're enabling them to do their job easier, faster, quicker. Um, so my boss is the uh, head of audience development pretty much for all of Ziff Davis, and we have company goals that we need to achieve. And it's helping those teams individually dive into the striking distance content, the gap analysis uh, of themselves versus competitors on major topics or like topics in the industry that are growing. Um, so as far as you know, staying on goal, we, we do uh, look at rankings. We do look at uh, volume of inbound traffic from SEO and pieces of content being written, but quality pieces, the quality of that content. Um, and then making sure that everybody uh, from myself, from the SEO team to the editorial team um, is keeping in touch with the best practices of industry standards of what people are saying in the industry. Uh, it is my job to focus on with my other SEOs on, my, on the team that work in parallel with me uh, and on other brands to stay informed in the industry, to uh, keep up with the latest information that's coming out of tests that people are doing other than us or that we're doing. Um, and seeing, okay, what is getting into the quick answer? Uh, can we, and I have so much data available to me. It's ridiculous because, um, with the number of brands and the verticals that they're in, that they differ in, I've got at least 10 to 15 domains that are in completely different verticals that I could analyze. And I do track, um, 
uh, over rankings, over like a search metric SEO visibility scores, over uh, fluctuations in SEO. I actually am able to tell you when an SEO ranking factor or algorithm, not a factor in particular, but an algorithm has occurred, an update has occurred because I have a dashboard for 15 very large um, million page view daily uh, domains. I look at that dashboard every day. And when I wake up in the morning, uh, I've collected Google Analytics from those accounts using the Google Sheets plugin that automatically updates. Uh, also integration with Google Search Console and a whole bunch of other tools. And I get to see the red or green fluctuations that I've personally, you know, developed and designed um, some of those dashboards in conjunction with other team members to say, what's the pulse? What changed? What site section changed? What template types changed? What's unique about this template type on this site that didn't change over there? And it's that scientist uh, point of view of how how the world is changing and observing that change um, to say, oh, this one website won while these three other sites lost. What are the commonalities and differences between those? And it's always what you hope that you get out of, like a Barry Schwartz or a Matt Cutts or a mm-hmm. Danny Sullivan or something on search engine land that somebody would say, these 20 domains did this. Mm-hmm. This one site section, we saw a trend in that. I actually have access to that data along with three or four other you know, director-level SEO team members that we can go in when there's a big fluctuation that occurs. Uh, and I could probably t- I caught it a couple times in the last couple months where I s- said something to my team before it came out on Search Engine Land or on Search Engine Roundtable. And I was really excited about that personally. <laughs> <laughs> so coming out of that, um, something I've been running into personally, and I'm sure you've run into in the past, is in the minds of the people that we work with, and I'm thinking mostly on my side to, to clients, I think the content wheel in the content process is a little bit broken, right? And the reason I think that is because of the way that the way that sometimes content is getting sold to people, whether it be us or somebody else selling content to, to people from the outside and then us hearing about it secondhand or the way that customers are coming to us thinking about how they want us to do content. And what I mean by that is they're coming at us and saying, Hey, Hey Jake, I need, I need X pieces of content per month or I need, um, yeah, I, I mean a, a lot of it's that I, I need a certain quantity of content per month or I need to do, I need to do eight infographics or, or what, whatever the, whatever the case may be, eight, eight, graphics or eight white papers or, Hey, I need a bunch of case studies. Um, and they'll, and they'll come to us and say, Hey, give me some pricing for that. And, and I kind of have to say like, why, why, why do you need those things? And, um, and why is, why, why is the number eight? Why do you need eight? Why not two? Why not 10? And a, a lot of times I feel like I have to back people off and say, no, 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 no. We need to like, we, when, if we're just starting this relationship, we don't know your, your website, we need to audit it. And then we'll tell you, do you need to create more content? Do you need to revamp existing content? So on and so forth. And then the other thing that I see is when they do get to that place where they're creating content, right? They're actually at the executional phase. The process typically goes like this. I've researched this keyword. 
I've created an article and then I send it to my SEO to optimize and people can't see me doing my, my little uh, air quotes, yeah. optimize. And it's like, well, no, no. Like I, people, you've got to understand that like if you're trying to rank for a certain thing, whatever it is, and you write an article that is fundamentally horrible or is not, or is not um, in depth enough, there's no amount of optimizing or putting in keywords or sprinkling my, my magic fairy dust that can help that article rank. And in fact, what needs to happen is you need to change your process. And so, okay, these are the things that I've been running into. And I'm wondering if this is something that, because you're doing content at great scale that you've either run into in the past or that you're running into now. And how do you manage that? Yeah. So at the agency level, I think something that I always knew from my first agency, PCG Digital, as selling, I was not just the SEO and a digital person. I was co-selling with the, the head of the company uh, on new accounts. Um, and then when we moved into Rosetta and Razorfish, being part of that sales process from the beginning, the initial start of the conversation, uh, you know, some agencies, some teams don't think to include the SEO guy that's going to be doing the work um, as part of the sales process. But that SEO person creating strategy and setting out goals from the beginning, I think helps to start the relationship properly so that we're not expecting X number of pieces as delivery. We're expecting performance. Um, and, and also uh, something that someone in the industry uh, taught me was you're not an SEO. You're a marketer that specializes in a particular channel. And that marketing needs to tie back to their goals, their personal goals at work, their boss's goals, and the company's goals. And if you're not serving those things with the channel that you're optimizing for, whatever it happens to be, it could be TV, radio, print, SEO, paid search, um, you know, social, it's not the things that you produce, but the end result of those things. Um, and, and so setting the expectation early in conversation is making sure that we're not hitting a production number. We're not producing cars. We're not a factory line, but we're trying to create quality that drives the end goal, whether that be traffic and conversions and sales, um, or something else that we want that to happen. Okay, what could, should be the ideation, the creation of that material and that media type that fits what we want the end goal to be? Because we're the SEO agency, the SEO person, we're going to start to think about the tools in our shed, our toolbox, whatever it is, um, that enables those things to happen. Is it a site redesign? Is it tech audit? Is there something wrong with the domain technically? Uh, those three pillars of SEO right? Uh, you go back to those three pillars of content, accessibility slash technical, and authority slash don't everybody say it at the same time backlinks. Um, you know, you don't want those to be the things, but the pillar that they should all go up to, the, the roof over everyone's head is the money that it drives mm -hmm. or the goal that you achieved. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that there can be a number of content pieces, but if you set out an editorial gap analysis uh, or an editorial striking distance, or you know that X amount of your articles that were ranking well and had traffic two years ago, but you haven't updated them and you've let them go orphaned on the site in pagination, 
you can, you can quantify the number of pieces that you have to update and the amount of time it takes an editorial or a writer person, an individual to go back and do that. And those are your numbers on delivery. How quickly do you want to get those things done and start to see improvements to your site? That's how you break down the hours and, and the delivery pieces to me. Um, you know, there, and there's other things that people can do, which, you know, in the last year I've been starting to work on, uh, what other media types can I amplify to get traffic to my site? And, and that's one of the, uh, I know you've been talking about it, knowledge bombs that I wanted to drop on, on some people. Um, the knowledge bomb is SEO is not the bomb. And I'm probably one of the last people you expected to hear that from. Um, but traffic generation is our game. We're a channel and there's so many other channels. They could be spending their money somewhere else. Sure. They could be spending it on TV and the selling point is always so difficult for SEOs, right? Well, how much more traffic are you going to get me? I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Let's guess. Let's guess together. Right. But you, you use your math, you use your experience in the industry, um, maybe a couple of tools, uh, some click-through rate uh, assessments, but you don't know if you're going to rank number two or number 10. Um, and you, you embark on that adventure together. So... In SEO, right, a lot of times we're, we're focusing on keywords and, and topics and, and things and search volume. And um, with the types of sites you manage, there, there, there's an element of churn in, in new topics that you haven't even thought of that are, that are coming right around the corner probably all the time that just crop up out of nowhere. So how do you balance having a very targeted strategy going after very specific things that you want to rank for with the churn that you have to maintain and always uncovering those new topics? There's a certain amount of deviation from the editorial keyword selection process that you have to take into account. Are you hitting the hottest, latest, greatest thing that's going to be in the news cycle for a short amount of time? Or are you targeting evergreen terminology and content to a focused audience that is your core set of terms? Um, so, you know, are you a gaming website that talks through, um, the latest news on a, a game release? Sure. Everybody's going to be looking for it, but it's a hot flash in the pan and then it backs off. Um, so don't put way too much effort in link building and, and, uh, site, uh, navigation creation and, and internal backlinking, uh, effort toward that because it's going to hit the Google news cycle. It's going to be in and out in a day or two and that search topic may go away, but, the longer play is if that game is dropping in April, you, can you get video assets? Can you get trailers? Can you get walkthroughs? Can you get all of the rest of the ecosystem that you know that's going to come with a game? Characters and um, hit points and strategies in that game. Controllers and how it's going to be different on different consoles. Uh, think about the long-term goals, but get in early. And we have team members at, at PC Mag and Mashable that are working on 5G and 6G. You know, uh, sure, they're pie-in-the-sky technologies in the future, but can we own that space, uh, you know, early on enough where we become the asset, the, the, um, the known uh, property for that terminology uh, ahead of time? Um, so I think staying ahead of the curve is kind of difficult, um, but you have to anticipate what's going to happen in the next generation of that conversation around that terminology so that you can continue to capture traffic as that, uh, that topic evolves. So how do you anticipate it? What do you, what do you do to anticipate? Is it Google trends? Is it something else? Is it, do you just have put on your mad magic Swami hat? 
I'm going to say that it's actually not my responsibility at that point. It is left to the editorial chiefs and leads. I would love to take credit for it. Uh, but those individuals at the brand level are so knowledgeable about their craft and their particular segment of the news and industry that I can't get ahead of them. The way that they get ahead of it is uh, using some of our tools like Google Trends, um, but lately we've been doing a little bit of market research on, uh, let's say in the gaming industry, um, app research. There are app research tools and app store tools that, um, help you to determine what is the most, what's the hottest app in growth and downloads, uh, mm -hmm. and on what, uh, operating system. And we've been, uh, you know, looking into that information, uh, to see if that can inform editorial. One more kind of in the weeds update or, or question, and then I want to back out just a little bit. So we've talked a lot about content, but we all know that technical is more foundational in my, in my opinion in terms of <laughs> you can have great content, but if nobody can see it, doesn't, doesn't really matter. It's like a, if a tree falls in the woods. So you've got a bunch of different properties to manage technical, and I'm assuming there's a big team of developers making updates to these websites all the time. So how do you manage to maintain and improve the technical framework and, and put out fires as I'm sure they arise? Yeah. Um, well, I continue to be impressed by the level of internal automation that some teams have uh, in knowing best practices, but it's, it's ongoing training. Uh, and and knowledge sharing throughout our teams, the different um, silos uh, of team members and their skill sets uh, on what SEO best practices are and are not. Um, doing systemic and uh, scheduled checkups uh, on best practices and knowing and finding out uh, person to person, when is there a CMS change? When is there a platform change? When are you doing a redesign? We need to be... Uh, we need to have our butts in the seats at the round table uh, to help you shape that conversation to make sure we don't go in the wrong direction from step two, step three, step four, and then we're off a cliff. Um, I, I know that's been the case of several clients that I had in the past uh, when we were at Razorfish and Rosetta and, and PCG and my previous agency um, that they had already decided on a tech stack. They were already doing angular and that was going forward, whether we liked it or not. And, uh, when we got in, we were about a year and a half um, into that, that company already using Angular, and we had to have them stop, rewrite the CMS that they were using or the output they were utilizing um, to get these parts and pieces and pages of the website to be uh, functioning correctly. It was nice that they had these transitions. It was nice that there was session tracking or there was, you know, it didn't feel like there was a page transition. Wonderful, but that did not serve the ultimate purpose, which was driving traffic back to the website, getting conversions, getting uh, acquisition, and getting people to convert. The, the user interface is very important, but it's also important for it to be found and discoverable. Um, so having people in with boots on the ground, letting them and reminding them that the heads of the teams, that they should source our team members uh, for technical uh, when they come up with new ideas, but also and when they're building new products um, and also when they're, um, they're considering, you know, just a timely refresh of the site, we go out and we crawl the site. Uh, I will give a huge shout out to deep crawl, uh, a terrific tool that I continue to use. It's my, it's my number one tool uh, that I utilize. Uh, they are not paying me to say that because it, it is so helpful to me 
in the audits that I've done over the last two years at the company, uh, several of the brands that I've used the tool on have seen, not because of the tool, but because of what I got out of the tool, corrections to tens of thousands of pages that I would not have been able to scale. I might've been able to do with like a screaming frog, um, but the consolidation and the time that it would have taken and the, the locking of my computer that it might have taken because I don't have, you know, I don't have a gig of, you know, gigs and gigs of RAM. Uh, I'll do an initial crawl on Screaming Frog just to test out a site to make sure there's no rabbit holes that the crawler goes down. Ex know to exclude those sections of the site and then run a full deep crawl on a site. And I find some really great tactics and opportunities there. So what I'm boiling a lot of that down to and we've talked about this in past episodes, especially when we talk about the relationship between you as the SEO or marketer and the developer and how that can sometimes be strained. So what I'm getting is that you've developed a lot of trust. Yeah, yeah I'd say uh, there's a lot of trust between myself and developers. Um, I come from that computer science. Yeah, yeah, I come from that computer science. You're in each other's hands, basically. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, how do you get somebody's buy-in? Well, it's your job and their job and their boss's job, and everybody needs to have a job. Um, we don't want to lose our jobs. So uh, I think it's the fact that I have that formal computer science training and background. I can call polite bullshit on people when I know that they're saying something that would have confused the product and the client and the account people. Um, but when you got to me, when the product person came to me and said, Matt, is this the right thing that we're doing for this tool, this new thing we're launching? And I say, no, actually, that's not SEO friendly. You should do it in this, this, this way. They bring those points back to the dev team and the dev team goes, well, I don't know. I'm not too sure. That doesn't sound like something we could do. We all get in a room together. Magically, Matt's introduced to the team and his background becomes uh, apparent that he was also a developer and can write the same code that you can, not as quickly, but in some capacity. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? We probably could do it that way. I never thought of it that way. And yeah, it is important that this page is discoverable and whatnot. Um, so that really helps me out a lot, getting into those technical conversations. Awesome, awesome. So let's, um, let's back out of that. And I want to focus a little bit more on you. Oh, no. Um, successes. <laughs> successes. Um, Big success. <laughs> one of my first mid-enterprise level clients uh, was a pet food company at, when I was at my first agency. And uh, I was working with a development team, and I was always trying to be spontaneous in the ideas that we would bring to market. Uh, it was the first enterprise level client that we ever had, a very large monthly um, uh, retainer. And we came up with this wild and crazy idea. They were trying to rank really well for um, fresh pet food category terminology, healthy, fresh, whatnot. Um, it was a developing category, but it was something that people in a niche market were definitely looking for. Um, but we didn't have a good content creation point of view because really what can you do if you were a Purina or a Meow Mix or something like that? So um, an interesting tactic we took was what kind of data do you have about your company? What kind of data do you have about your product? We found out that they had a great list of distribution uh, to all these pet companies that they went to, uh, the pet supply stores that were even small little chains uh, on the corner, you know, the corner of Main Street. 
But these companies, these small businesses did not have their own websites and, uh, and weren't performing well or, or didn't have any digital marketing at the time. So if someone was looking for fresh pet food, we did a database explosion where we created a, like a subdomain of all the places you could find this fresh pet food in stock, in store. Not a search by zip code, because that would have required um, a search engine to understand and input a zip code into a search field or a form and submit and get an output. That's not, that was a purpose of the, the data, but that was not the end goal. So we created like an HTML sitemap of an output of that data. And it was my first big success in SEO as like a, a really interesting tactic and strategy, thinking outside the box other than writing blog posts and creating pages, where this templated system outputted three or four different levels of pages of state, city, store, and it created almost like a yellow pages listing site of places that carried fresh pet food by this brand. And we saw an increase of overall traffic, I think at the time of like 25 or 30% of generic traffic that somebody was looking for the name of a pet store and they got to our page because maybe the pet store didn't have a page and they learned about the product first before learning about the pet store and how to get there and what the address was and the phone number and, have, and, you know, and call to see if they're open. So it was a really great experiment and it turned out really, really well. Um, another thing in the last couple of years that we've had a lot of success on is the cleanup of dead, low-quality, thin content in mass. Uh, whether it be outdated or the deep crawl system provides me with that report that says um, thin content or low or uh, low page size, I believe it, it might be uh, in mass understanding. Okay. How much traffic does that represent to the site? Uh, and can we just cut those pages out or should we refresh them and expand the size of those pages? Is the CMS outputting tens of thousands of uh, repetitive blank pages, which we found was the case. Um, and modifying those. So doing large technical audits like that was very helpful. And then um, content refreshes of previously successful pieces, expanding their size, uh, understanding the size of competitors' material, what's winning in search results, um, and the eat, uh, the eat factors, uh, you know, authority, trustworthiness. Um, uh, those factors have become very important in the health brands that we work with. Um, and uh, making sure that medically reviewed content is a priority for those type of brands. So I would say the one, the, the one that you mentioned um, around thin content. So the first time for me that that tactic or that I had seen somebody really publicize it, and not to say that it's the first time it was used, um, was um, Brittany Mueller when she no-indexed a lot of Moz content and it actually led to a, uh, a net benefit for the site in terms of traffic uh, with the idea that the authority, hate to use that term, but the authority of the site, um, you know, when you, when you take out all of the low quality content is then redistributed. And it's kind of a way, I don't want to say page rank sculpting, right? Because that's a very, very old and, and stale tactic that was used, I believe, in the, in the two, early 2000s. But uh, I think the idea is the, is the same, is to, to make sure that the equity is flowing correctly to all of the pages that it should, and, um, and that those low-quality pages are just completely filtered and ferreted out um, because they shouldn't be, be there. They don't provide value to users. So all of that is to say that 
I did a similar thing at startups.co, which where I just came from um, before I worked at search discovery. And um, the only time I've ever seen a site that I've worked on hit with an algorithm update on my watch happened at, at startups. Now, luckily it wasn't like bad, but um, you know, we, we were building and growing, growing traffic and we had instituted a lot of technical changes. Uh, we revamped our content strategy but the only problem was there was just so much content on the site and so much um, in certain sections of the site, user-generated content, a lot of low-quality articles that it took, it took me so long to account for all of it and to get my arms around it and to evaluate it all that by the time we were, I don't know, a year to a year and a half into, into the strategy, I was like, okay, I had kept pushing it back. I'll deal with those later. I'll deal with those later. We got more important fish to fry. And then Google flipped the switch on an algorithm update. And um, the progress that I had made over the course of a year, it went all back to where I had started. Now, I was like, well, I didn't do anything. I know that I'm doing, I know that I'm doing the right thing. And, and one of the big things that I changed in terms of, all right, let's start getting real. What do I need to clean up? It was to clean up and any page that I felt like was low quality, cut it, no index it. Uh, we, we had a, a lot of canonicalization issues causing duplicate content. So basically we cleaned up a lot of really low quality and duplicative content and did nothing really different otherwise. Uh, and uh, literally the day before my last day there, and we had started growing again, uh, Google flipped the switch on another algorithm update, and I, I have a strong suspicion that maybe they adjusted us down a little bit farther than we should have been. Um, the Google flipped the switch on another algorithm update, and things shot through the roof, and we were breaking records again. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm, I've been out of that job for six months, and every month, since the month I left, they've set a new organic traffic record. <laughs> so, isn't that the kicker, Jake? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. It just means that, like, the work that I did, still paying off for them. I agree with you. I I absolutely agree with you. And I want to. I want anybody listening to know that might be an SEO or might be thinking about SEO tactics. Um, I've never seen, with the exception of one instance, I've never seen an immediate payoff from SEO. It is not a one week, one month, sometimes one quarter payoff from doing a lot of these things. There was the one case that I could have been the snake oil salesman and I could have been that cheesy guy that everybody hates that somebody came to me and said, Matt, we just launched this new website. Um, we can't figure out, there's been a lot of people looking at it. Um, we can't figure out what's wrong, what's going on. It was a beautiful redesign. It was a terrific navigation. Great, uh, you know, nothing that was technologically, uh, you know, too JavaScripty, too Angular or anything. Beautiful implementation. I, what's one of the two first three or four things you look at it as an audit when you hear something like things drop through the bottom? You're like, okay, well, is it a funky technology implementation? Is it like frames or something? No. Okay, well. It, Let's go to the robot subtext and start there. Robot subtext. Disallow star. Crap. Disallow star. So I could keep this person on the phone, bullshit them for an hour about what might be wrong, and say, let's get you an account for six months and you know, really sell them this. And then in the middle, somewhere in the first or second month, throw that file up there as, a, as an update and be like, oh, we're just going to make this a best practice to update it. 
and the flow of traffic would just like crush and it'd be terrific. I didn't do it. On the sales call, I said, I've already immediately found your problem. Your developer left in this file of disallowing robots uh, by default, and you just need to make this one change and your website's going to come back to life. So a week later, I mean, they changed it the next day, and a week later, they, up the, they called me back, and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe how much you saved us. You really helped us out. Right. I'm so sorry we're not going to be a client of yours, but thank you so much. And it, I want to dispel that snake oil salesman of SEO portion back then, and I, I hope that that helped to do it for whoever was on the other side of the phone. Right, right. And I remember, gosh, if you, if you do anything, don't screw up your robots file. Um, teach your developers about the robots file. I, I saved a very well-known client by just so happening upon an update that they made to their robots file. Uh, thank you to SEO Radar. Great tool for, for monitoring. Uh, saw that they had put a robots file on um, some very, very important pages and caught it. They probably lost some money, but caught it before they lost literally millions because if they had had it up for any amount of time, they would have lost millions of dollars. So uh, luckily, luckily, I was there in that particular case for the, for the save. But one thing I, I would say in terms of the time that it takes, I saw somebody, I think it was like John, maybe John Doherty of, of Credo or maybe Sire. I can't remember exactly who said it, but I, I thought that they really did a great job of putting into perspective the situation that a lot of sites face when they begin to entertain SEO and think about the timeline. And, and when you start SEO, if you've never done it before, or even if you've done it, the site is just suffering under the weight of every single thing that is going on content-wise, technology-wise, so on and so forth. So the reason that it takes so long is, and the reason that it's so hard to tie little changes to impact, like some people want to know, what's the impact of making that alt tag update? Well, it's really freaking hard to tell you. What's the impact of having that change to the title tag on that one page or that template? And sometimes it's really, really difficult, but the cumulative effect is almost akin to turning around a a very large ship. And at first, because you're suffering under the weight of everything that has happened historically, it takes a long time to turn. And there's a lot of things that go on there. But once it starts to turn and it starts to snowball and it starts to grow, um, that's when, you know, that's when, when SEO really, really starts coming to life. But it takes a long time due to a number of factors um, and, and it takes the cumulative effect of a lot of small things and some big things to add up to, to success. And it's a lot of small pieces to the puzzle that by themselves aren't very impactful. But when you add them all together and start doing them in sequence and show a search engine that you're starting to do things the right way, you're turning around, you're turning around a ship, ships don't turn on a dime, Right. Um, that's when things start to start to come to life. Um, Absolutely agree with you. Failures. Failures. Tell me about some failures. Yeah, um, I've been very fortunate in my career that I don't think I've had a lot of failures. I've heard about some of your client fails that you guys have had. Uh, I don't think I had a client fail, but I did have one. Uh, so at that very first company out of uh, school, um, I 
we were doing a server migration. Now, keep in mind that this is the back back in the day of 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. Uh, I was a software and front-end and back-end and design and database guy. I was not a hardware connectivity networking kind of guy. And for some reason, I had been trust entrusted with the move of the, the web service from one box to the next box of an upgraded a local uh, service provider, an internet service provider. And I took for granted that the, the database of client material that I had stored as a backup on the, uh, the USB drive that I was using at the time that had actually been, you know, actually stored to the, di to the drive and that the file transfer was going to go perfectly fine from the, ser from the old server to the new server. And so I had already started to, in my own mind, secure the server to make sure if it got into the wrong hands, I was starting to delete uh, core files and content and database of clientele material. Um, and little did I know when the new server booted up, it was almost like a blank slate. None of the material had made it over to the new server. And I had already deleted the database on the other old server. So I was literally sitting there with two blank servers of no backup of data because the USB drive didn't properly save it either. So first rule is make sure you've got a backup of your backup and you know that it functions. The second rule is, thank God for my friend Dan, who does local networking and IT tech support, and had one of those uh, data recovery systems that goes onto the disk and finds the portion of the disk where the file used to um, survive and makes that come back to life, uh, th those data forensic files uh, and, and services. Um, Thank God for him. We're friends today. Just attended his Super Bowl party, and we've been friends for a while. Uh, I really appreciate the Dan Carroll, uh, Mom of Computers, great tech support guy, saved my ass, um, and I'm, I'm still I still have jobs today because uh, of him helping me. So um, you don't have to stay in your lane, but if you're not a specialist in what is about to happen, um, check out, admit it, because I was young and I thought I could handle it, um, and it could have been a holy crap company down the drain moment uh, that I got bailed out from. Yeah. I always say it's okay to not know things. It's okay to not know things. And uh, I see, I've seen people back themselves into a corner by pretending that they knew stuff that they, did, <laughs> that they didn't know. And it's yeah. okay to say, um, let me just go find that out. If you don't know the answer to something, right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Agency versus in-house. You've done both. Which do you like? man better i should say yeah oh i like them all jake um man that's a great question um i i have to go 50 50 split i'm not going to make a definitive answer not just because of my my job career uh and, and my availability for being hired in the future but there's bonuses to both there's the diversity of clientele uh, at the agency and enterprise level clients and having great budgets and being able to work with um, diverse teams around you and specialists in those areas uh, and going uh, brand side, having the internal insight and trust of the team to be able to prioritize work and, and have instant access to the things that you need. 
agency side, I had a whole bunch of tools and, and the ears of the experts in the industry informing us. Whereas brand side, um, I can be that subject matter expert, still listen to the brand, still listen to speakers in the industry um, and kind of evaluate what is the effort versus impact internally that I can prioritize and really get things done. Uh, whereas I think agency side, we were selling a lot of cool ideas and hoping that they worked out. Um, and they usually did. That was what was great. I, I did go through deck withdrawal for the first two weeks of going brand side after going, after being in an agency for almost eight years. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't create like a, a deck on why this thing needed to be done for almost like a month. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, a PowerPoint used to be my friend. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, I do, um, I do remember when I, when I went in-house at startups, one of their first comments to me was, if you bring a PowerPoint deck to any of our meetings, we're going to laugh you out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't joking. They weren't joking. But unfortunately, with some ideas – like you've got to organize your thoughts somewhere. So like sometimes I had to, had to do that. So let me take that last question from a different angle. And this is, I think, where it cuts a little bit more personally, um, which is what I want to get into with this, with this type of a podcast. It, it cuts into life, right? So you're a family man. You've got kids, um, two kids, same age as me. Uh, you got an almost six-year-old. I have an almost six-year-old. You've got a three-year-old. Uh, boy and a girl, and uh, agency agency world, you did quite a bit of traveling. Now, I, I believe you still do uh, the commute from New Jersey to, I believe it's New York still, right? I Yeah, I took that plunge. Yeah, so you do still have a commute, but I know that you had a bigger commute and you did a lot of traveling. How does that, how does that affect the home life, man? How, how, how hard is that to balance? Yeah, uh, you know, my, my LinkedIn profile and my interviewing uh, you know, what I was looking for changed dramatically in, in a matter of three or four years where I could still be married, have my wife. We, maybe she would even travel with me to those places. But um, as we had kids and as family became more of an important thing to be at after school activities and help out with homework and not leave in the morning and the kids were still asleep and come back at night and the kids were going to sleep or already asleep, that is a huge priority for me. I can't have that happen. It would, mm -hmm. it would tear me apart. Uh, I love my family too much. And, uh, and, and to hear when I open the door uh, at 6.30 or 7 o'clock when I get home from work, uh, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, Daddy, stop, 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 stop. Yep. <laughs> right? Um, you, you know, you can have a dog that comes running to you and jumps all over you, but the kids do that. And um, it's just like a little piece of you grows inside and gets warm and happy, uh, even if you have to change a diaper right when you get home. A little bit more uh, each time, too. Absolutely. And you're yep. so proud of the, their accomplishments because they want to show you their accomplishments, even if it's we pooped in the potty today. Um, so, <laughs> yes, I've gotten very lucky where over the years I've had more and more understanding uh, management teams above me uh, and horizontally that understand that family life is a priority. Uh, and I was the young guy when I was at my first agency where I was young and I was traveling all the time. I was on the road. I was doing road shows. I was doing uh, conventions. I was doing expos. And I wanted to do all that stuff. And we went to California. We, went to, we drove to Florida because we couldn't take a flight because we were hosting our uh, conference. Uh, our, our flight got canceled. And we took that damn road trip to Florida to host our conference. Um, 
it was from Jersey to Florida. <laughs> That's a yeah. road trip. Um, but now I've, you know, some of the prerequisites for working have been, what's the work from home option? Uh, what's the, the life family work, work home um, mix that you guys mm-hmm. expect? And I've declined positions over the last couple of years um, because that wasn't going to be the right, fix, the right setting and the right opportunity for me in those priorities. Um, so it's become completely different over the last five years, uh, you know, than the previous 15. So let me take it a step farther. So I only know this story because I, you know, I worked directly, directly with you when, when this happened. Um, I can only imagine how, how you felt about it. But when your, when your son was born, he, he, he was born with, uh, I believe it was the, the heart, heart defect, uh, what was that like? Explain that situation. Uh, so supraventricular tachycardia, uh, SVT. Uh, my mom's a nurse. My dad's a pharmacist. So I grew up hearing medical things, and I'm very versed in medical things. I, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. But mm-hmm. um, I'm the, the medical person. I'm the nurse in the family <laughs> when it comes to that. Um, uh, you know, I'd never heard of it. Apparently, it was rather common, one in couple thousand or 10,000, don't quote me on medical statistics, disclaimer, um, that my son, when he was born, um, his heart rate, a normal heart rate of a baby and an infant should be somewhere around 130, 150, somewhere more or less of of those beats a minute. Um, After we had him home for three or four days, he stopped feeding and um, we went to the ER and he was doing 300 beats a minute. And so his heart was, uh, from a programmer point of view, uh, his, art, his heart was in an infinite loop. Uh, it couldn't break out of this electrical signal that was going around and around. Um, and they tried a hard stop where they gave him uh, a drug that hard stopped his heart, paused it for a couple seconds, and it goes back in. And it's supposed to break it out of that rhythm, and it didn't. It would go back in and back in and back in. So they did that. 10 or 12 times, which is uh, an extreme amount of recommendation for that. I think it's called the denizene if you're medically oriented. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and they quickly escalated it from the regional trauma location that we were at that had a pediatric specialty uh, division in the ER and specialists for cardiac, uh, uh, pediatric cardiology. Um, they escalated it to the, the East Coast region uh, facility, which is CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And they said, we're going to fly you out. So it went from not feeding overnight to in the ER in the morning to being there for a couple of hours to hoping he normalizes and doesn't. And we want to fly you in a helicopter, medevac you to Philadelphia in a matter of like hours. We were like, holy shit. I was very lucky that the, the team at, at the agency at Rosetta Razorfish and, and you know, they're there were people that also had kids, also had families that understood that I needed to take time away from my family and drop everything else. And I was, I was not out of office. I was disconnected. Um, it was so scary. Oh, absolutely. Freaked us out. So we were in the Ronald McDonald, Ronald McDonald room at CHOP. Uh, we still donate every year around the time that he was in there for about five days. He eventually normalized on a, a specialized regimen ironically interestingly enough he was the healthiest baby in there they he was a chunky happy baby but he just had an electrical system that was going the wrong way he's been free and clear of that for two years two and a half years now uh 
I still keep my one hand in the pocket where the stethoscope is and I feel his chest and I, I listen to his heart without him knowing that he's asleep at night um, to make sure that it's not going a million miles an hour. But he'd have other signs and he'd have other symptoms, but it's still on my mind every minute. But um, it, family is absolutely the priority. Relationship and family is the priority. And digital marketing can come second. I, I think uh, you quoted Brian Dean, one of our friends in the industry. I did. Um, I quoted him again today at work. <laughs> he, doesn't even, he doesn't even know how often he's come up on this <laughs> podcast. And it's not the Brian Dean that everybody knows in the industry. It's cool. the Brian Dean that we work with who's awesome. Awesome. Just and not an that awesome the other guy. Brian Dean isn't awesome, but this guy is a different non-SEO Brian Dean. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're not doing brain surgery, heart surgeries where that could have come down to for me. Um, we're, we're not on the operating table. We're not in the ER. We're doing digital marketing. We have large brands behind us and it's okay to make a slip up. It's okay to, to not have a priority of launching that piece of content right at midnight. I mean, you know, somebody, you can let somebody else know to cover for you and they'll understand we're humans, we're human beings together and, and we need to support each other and, and not prioritize work over family or, or, or relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I always, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I, I know something I say to myself and it's something I've said to a few other people and I can't remember where I heard it. Um, when you're, when you're on your deathbed, and, and um, I, I think about this more acutely because I have somebody that, that, I, that I've known, not closely, that passed away recently, and I, I think about it a lot. Um, I can only imagine when I'm on my deathbed, I certainly won't be wishing that I worked more. And I love my job. I do love my job, but I won't be wishing that I worked more. I'll be thinking about family and friends and, you know, all of the stuff that is really really important. Um, that's the stuff that matters. And, uh, you know, we can be, I can drive traffic to, to all, all of the sites in the world, right? And, and it doesn't really matter unless the family and the friendships and those types of things are, are there behind, behind it all. It, it, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's, and it's not easy to work when you're distracted by those things, when those things yeah. are not going well. And, you get fortunate enough to work in the industry with people that understand that. Right. Uh, and I love that about other people. So, you know, I, you had a bit of, uh, you, you had your reprieve, but eventually you had to come back. Right. But that was still like in the back of your mind and it probably has not left since then. Like, how have you been able to, how have you been able to like focus and still be functional? Um, it's it's trusting that he's doing better and that the doctors have it under control and that they're specialists in their areas and uh, I have to let nature and the doctors take their course um, whereas I get back into my daily swing of things and that I have a team uh, that supports me um, just as if I would support them. If they had a crisis or an emergency, you go and you deal with that. That is a priority uh, get off the phone, stop answering that email at 7.30. It's your personal life and you need to make that separation. I am a huge advocate of that separation of mm -hmm. work and home life now that my work and home life is completely different and I'm not going to ask anybody else to operate in a different fashion. It, it's up to you if you want to work after hours or check your email in bed and respond. But keep in mind, you're setting a precedent. 
that if you keep doing that, uh, people are going to continue to expect it from you. Right. And you have to draw a line and say, and I, I, like I said, I, I declined a couple of positions that said, um, no, actually our company culture is that you need to be in New York city five days a week, uh, eight 30 to five 30 or six. Mm-hmm. And I said that company culture won't fit into a two hour train ride either way. <laughs> well, I, I have to say go, go family, go team. We moved in October and now we're only an hour and a half hour and 45. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, I appreciate that my peers and my um, managers, the, the people above me in leadership are sympathetic to this type of lifestyle that I've set out from the start that I needed to have happen for me and what's right for them as well. And I have to make sure I deliver though. Uh, I can't be slacking off. I can't not answer work from home Fridays. I can't, you know, the kids are on my lap, but yeah, I'm answering emails and making sure I'm doing work. So, so let me ask you one more, I guess more, more of a personal question in that if this is more parent, parent to parent, right? In this age where people, um, people, kids, everybody, everybody's on their phones, everybody's on their tablets, everybody's consuming media at all times and distracted. You're coming home on the train, you're listening to a podcast, you're, I know I personally, like when I wake up in the morning or or when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about work, thinking about the strategy that I'm going to, to implement. And sometimes people forget to be present in the moment. Um, when they're present in the moment, when you're, when your kids are talking to you or when you're at dinner, um, or when you're just spending time with your family, not on your phone, how do you like, how do you maintain being present so that you can be there for your family? And how do you like mentally turn it off? Like turn your, cause like you can be home but be a million miles away thinking about work and thinking about strategy and every other thing that you've got going on. How do you turn it off? I, I actually have a very good example of being thousands of miles away from work. <laughs> um, so uh, for those of you that don't know, my wife is Brazilian and we attempt to make the pilgrimage once a year um, as we've been fortunate enough to do so uh, to travel down to Brazil for about two weeks. And that's another uh, pre-existing condition that I have right. uh, when I take on a job I'm like, look, I'm going to be out and honest and open. I don't want you guys to come as a surprise. My wife's from Brazil. We go and visit her family. We really enjoy it. I'm there for two and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. If that's a problem for me working remote for a week and a half or taking five days in a row, we're we're just not going to work out. Uh, But for the screen time and and the constant connectivity, I love the proposal that's coming out of France. Um, I believe that uh, the work cannot hold you accountable for checking emails after hours, uh, even if you're on a salary position. I think it's interesting, and uh, I would love to see how that affects Publicis in the future, uh, mm-hmm. being a French company. Right. Um, good luck, agency world. Uh, but we've found, as our children have gotten older, like my son, when he became uh, old enough to walk and move and be able to reach over to, to, to you know get to a pad or a phone, and he's adopted technology so quickly, he tried to swipe the TV, the big, you know, 65 inch TV on the wall. And I was like, whoa, 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 don't do that. In the, in the last couple of months, we've tried to cut down on screen time. We, they've become addicted to it. Um, oh yeah. You've mentioned in the past. Uh, the sometimes it's easy to fall into as a parent. Oh, like, hey, you need your own personal time. Go watch my phone. Don't bother. Oh, take daddy's phone or we Please. have two kids tablets from uh, Amazon Fire tablets that have the, the soft surrounds on yeah. them. 
And if you want to have a warm meal with more than two consecutive bites at a restaurant that you're paying, you know, 25, 30 bucks a plate for, you're probably dropping that pad on your kid. But I really, we're trying not to. We're trying yeah. not to. It's because hard. they get addicted and, and grumpy from it. Yeah. So it's very difficult. Um, I've personally been finding myself, I'm, I'm trying to disconnect. I, I do have a pet peeve. When we go on vacation, my wife is the documenter of the vacation because she's taking pictures constantly. That's me. She's doing videos, which is great. I have a huge pet peeve of people that can't experience the moment without having that screen between them. Mm-hmm. Where they're taking pictures, where they're taking videos. I, I, I hate the uh, going to a concert and everybody's taking pictures constantly or videos. Yeah, constantly. Watching the actual concert and taking yeah. it. <laughs> Be there. Like we went to Andrea Bocelli in New York city Ooh, at, yeah. at the, at the uh, Madison yeah. Square Garden. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Of course you're not supposed to videotape, but a lot of people are out there like, taking pictures, taking videotaping, whatever. And I'm just like, take it in. Mm-hmm. The, the sight, the sounds, the feeling, the energy around you, don't let it be recorded because there are 50,000 other people that are recording this right now. And, and be you, be you in the moment and, re- and record it in your mind naturally like you used to. Yeah. Take in the smells and the sights and the sounds. And don't, it's great that you want to share it with people, but you want it to be yours too. And uh, that is a pet peeve I have that my wife fully knows and acknowledges. She's like, you don't have any pictures of the kids or any pictures of the vacation. I'm like, yeah, but I've got them up here. I, yeah. I remember what we did. Uh, I will give a uh, shout out to parents that go to Disney. I, mm-hmm. I think you've made the pilgrimage. Have, have Just you? me. We didn't do the big uh, week long trip, but we did one day and it was brutal. Oh, well, so we brutal. were fortunate enough to go for like four or five days and we did do the middle take a day off. We did the photo package. Um, so we didn't have to bring a camera or pull out our phones pretty much at any time that was a photo moment. And it was worth the whatever I think we paid for. It might have been 150 bucks over the five days that instead of being annoyed by the photo takers, hey, can I stop and take a picture? You're seeking those people out. Those people now have lines stacked up because they're mm-hmm. in the most photogenic locations and they've got a great focus. And that photo that they just took, those 10, 20 shots, are great, well-lit, and they're uploaded to the cloud from their pocket in about five minutes. And you can see them in the app on the phone, and then you get them when you get home, and you can download them all and turn them into a calendar. It's an ingenious, uh, cutting-edge technology thing that I think Disney cornered and did an amazing job on. I recommend it if you're that dad or that mom that wants a lot of pictures but doesn't take, you know, maybe doesn't have the phone for it or doesn't want to be bothered with pulling it out every time or carrying around a great camera. Um, highly recommend that. Let me, let me, let me tell you about my experience with Disney. <laughs> tell me. Don't get me wrong. It, it was a great day and, uh, it was hot and we had, we had a couple of whiny kids because it was so hot, but, oh. um, there were a lot of really good things that they do and that they did. Their app was so awesome. Um, get the fast pass, please God, get the fast pass, especially if you have kids that oh my God. Meals, you almost have to plan your meals. Like you've got to book them well months in advance if you want to get in anywhere to eat. But the thing I will say that was the most lasting memory for me, and unfortunately it was a little negative, was um, at the end of the night they do fireworks and they have certain sections that they tape off. And if you are not in one of those sections, you could be an inch outside of it. They will scream in your face 
and tell you to get the hell out or we're kicking you out, even if you've got a crying baby in your arms, which we did. So like we literally, and people are literally squeezed in and nobody's moving. Luckily we found a spot, but they were going to kick us out right at the most magical moment of the night. So not so great, Disney. Uh, I've got a bone to pick with Disney about that, but otherwise it was a good day. Um, <laughs> biggest, biggest mentor. Who was your biggest mentor coming up? Oh, uh, so I am going to say that it is uh, Brian Pash. He was the gentleman who approached me that I thought was the snake oil salesman, but he was just a very smart marketer. Um, and he is the guy that I credit toward all of the scope creep that has ever happened to me, uh, that I've ever done to anyone, um, where I'm not thinking about, I think about effort and impact and prioritization of work, but I'm always thinking about the fourth, fifth, and sixth step of how this ties back into a general digital marketing plan. And that can get under people's skin because they want to just get this thing done. But I like to make the big plans and, and the longer ter term strategy. Um, Brian was one of those on caffeine, amazing digital marketers that I got to early on in my career that always encouraged that kind of thinking um, and brought me out of my shell as well. At no point in time did I ever desire, and even to this day, much like your interview with Rand, do I desire to be on stage but it happens that, you know, if I have to teach or I have to present, I do well, I do okay. But then if I'm in that cock that industry cocktail hour uh, of, you know, everybody's at the high top tables, everybody's got a drink or two, I'm probably not the guy seeking out the group of people pitching. Uh, I'm not the guy that wants to be yeah. in and out of Salesforce and calling on people and individuals. And um, I can't be that... Uh, I am an extra. People think of me as the extrovert. They call me the mayor of the office. And my, I get it from my dad, right? I get it from my dad um, because he, they call him the senator, apparently, at his office. Right, right. And I didn't know that until recent years. Um, and it's tough for my dad to walk through a large airport and not catch somebody that he knows or, or make a friend. Um, but the same thing happens to me. I think it's because it's the evangelization of the SEO craft that needs to occur at all points of digital marketing creation, that if you don't get in, something's going to go wrong that you have to backtrack on. Yep. Uh, or you want to make it better. Um, so I, I think Brian Pash, uh, in the industry-wide, I, I have not heard one person say this yet. I don't know if I haven't listened to enough of your uh, material yet. Matt Cutts. Right. Come right. on. Let, let's give a shout-out to the OG SEO himself. That's right. If he was not confirming these pieces of bits that we all suspected were best practices, a lot of us may have strayed away from the industry or not continued to do best practices. Uh, shout out to Gary Isles and Danny Sullivan for recently trying to take over those roles in community. John Mueller. Yeah. John Mueller, especially. He, he actually had an answer that uh, drove a change for our, one of our sites and our teams about user-generated content that actually produced results six months later. Yeah. Um, again, one of those things where you make a switch and you're like, I hope this works when a new algorithm comes across. And it did. Yeah. Um, so well, that was the original version of, of what those people do. And he, I don't think he gets a lot of credit any, anymore, right? I think people have almost forgotten about his contribution to the industry, but he was so freaking nice and he took so uh, much heat. He was such a so great such a great face for the industry and it and I'm I'm amazed that he stuck with it 
as long as he did because SEOs are a, are, can be a wicked bunch of, of people in terms of eating their young. So they can be very vicious. I mean, little assholes I mean, sometimes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're very vicious SEOs that are out in the world. Like I did this and this and this, why isn't my website better? Uh, like general digital marketers sometimes that think that they employed a digital strategy that is correct, but you sometimes have to wait for that algorithm update to come around. It's not going to happen no matter how well you did, how many backlinks you built, how much quality content you put out. There's going to be some sort of a cadence eventually that does come around that your website will hopefully pop against. Uh, and I've experienced that. I'd like to caution people toward that. But uh, I think that's my, my general background. I, um, you know, for keeping a general mind on all marketing um, and pitch-wise, pitch understanding like where a brand comes from, from that background, not doing an audit and coming in and pitching what your audit findings were, but relating it back to the general brand and the overall goals of a company was working with Steve Pitts. I, I actually hadn't experienced that kind of um, work. Steve Pitts, the, the former head of SEO of the craft at Razorfish Rosetta, Steve yeah. now, now uh, in-house. Um, he was influential in my, in my deck creation, the way that I approach that uh, pretty frequently. Mine as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, at some point, uh, maybe it'll come before your episode. Maybe it'll come after your episode. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to fit in my own personal monologue and personal story. But if I had to name a mentor, he would definitely be on that list as, as well. But eventually I'm going to do my own story. Just not exactly sure when I am going to take the time to lock myself in my office <laughs> and talk to myself for an hour. <laughs> well, That's you need hard. to do so. You have to have somebody interview you. You got to flip. The right, table. right, right. Um, okay. So few more questions, favorite tactic, favorite tools, favorite resources. You can do one or many like tactics, tools, resources, like what do you like to do? What do you like to do it with? Okay. The thing that's worked most recently for me over the last two years being at large publishers is exactly what we talked about earlier using a crawler, deep crawl or, or um, screaming frog spider to identify low value, thin content, orphaned pages, uh, a lot of technical accessibility and or quality related items. Um, and they're definitive items as well. These pages are not in a crawl of the site even though they're in Search Console or they're in your analytics or they're in your uh, XML. We know these are best practices that the, the pages should be found through crawling the website. Fix it. Fix the, fix the pagination or the hierarchy or something. Mm -hmm. um, the, the next one, is, like identifying thin content is easy. It, it's, it's a page size item. It, it's number of words on a page and the lack of traffic that that page is getting. So finding those is pretty easy, but finding low quality is sometimes a matter of opinion, but usually, <laughs> yeah, it, it could be subjective, but it, if you break it down as a numbers guy, you got access to analytics and search console. If it's not getting play, if it's been a while since you touched it, it's not getting traffic and it's not getting, keeping in mind, we're not the only channel, right? So um, if it's not getting recirculation and uh, traffic, it's not getting referral traffic, it's not getting internal link traffic, it's not getting traffic from social when you play it out uh, on social channels, maybe that topic or that piece is dead. Mm -hmm. And that site section is dead. And you should think about chucking it, 410ing it. Uh, we had some success with 410 uh, recently. 
uh, over the last can year you, of some very old people content. don't know what you're talking about you might be speaking Greek what's a 410 uh, so you probably know in the industry what a 404 is a file not found um, there you go. right you're not redirecting a page after it died the server is actually giving an error saying I didn't find what you're looking for a 410 is similar to a 404 where the page is not found but you've purposefully said that that URL is gone from my website You've not just said that the server couldn't find it for some reason and it's an odd thing to happen. You've actually set it up so that this list of URLs generates a, a, a server response code uh, in a technical sense back to the web browser that says, you did, not only did you not find the page, I've purposefully taken that page away from this server. It is gone. It's never coming back. Yeah, it is not coming back. Um, now, have I found success between 404 and 410? I don't know. We haven't tested it to that point. But we did know that we, we found such low quality and such long age on this UGC that we cut it out completely and did a 410. And we saw upon the next, I don't know, we did like 10 other things, so it's kind of hard to tell. But upon the next algorithm update, there was a huge boost to the core content of the website. It was like, keeping in mind, 100% does not happen overnight. It, it jumped 25 or 30% in a week's time. And since that time, four months later, it is now up 80% year over year. That is the kind of incremental growth you like to see when you think you're doing everything right. So on big websites, this is a small change, drive a big impact. That's something we've talked about. Like the bigger the website, the smaller the change that can drive a big impact. Depending on uh, scaling, yes. You know, if you're in a publishing environment and 90% of your website of your 100,000 URLs is the article template, guess what you should probably be touching? The, the article template, making sure that's terrific. And then the hierarchy that supports it. So yes, um, the, like pagination. Some of the teams have used uh, JavaScript pagination where, where they're uh, actively writing um, where the page is or the page dynamically refreshes in an Ajax environment when they're paginating. Mm -hmm. uh, and it pushes a new URL to the browser, but it's not in a way that a, a standard crawler would be able to discover and follow that pagination. You're creating orphaned pages because search consoles, search engines and, and crawlers can't find them. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of technical stuff, and I'm going to credit it back to a deep crawl or uh, a search uh, spider, uh, the SEO spider. Yeah. So, so what other tools? You mentioned deep crawl a couple of times, a little bit of screaming frog, some search console. What other tools do you like to use? I recommend. Uh, for, okay. So deep crawl, Ahrefs. Love it. <laughs> yes, I, I know. I, I, I've been already, you've been coming on board with that idea. Right, right. Um, but Jake, I will completely support you that until I had this role at Ziff Davis, I almost never touched Ahrefs. It is the custom content that the team has gotten by creating internal home homegrown tools to mm -hmm. analyze the data we get out of that um, to actually make better sense of it and use it better. Right. Uh, striking distance and, um, and content gap analysis is what oh, yeah. we've been using it for. Yep. Um, so deep crawl, Ahrefs, search metrics, I wish we had a continued budget to use their content optimization tools at search metrics. Um, it's an individual brand um, decision to use those kind of tools. We can't support it at the parent level for everyone because who knows if they're actually going to use it or not. But when I've used their content analysis tool, 
you know, okay, this is a, a guide on routers. It'll go out, you pick five keywords, it'll go out to those five keywords in their top 10 ranking ter- uh, pages, do almost like a word cloud analysis of what's on the rest of the topics of those pages and what are you missing in your article that should also be included as a subtopic that all these other articles that are winning are also ranking for it. So it, it's almost like a similar topics keyword expansion for this one page that would help you grow in, in your opportunity for traffic. Um, I loved uh, SEO radar when we were at the agency level because mm-hmm. you didn't have your pulse on, as an internal person, I know a lot more about when things are changing to sites. You get release updates. You get, uh, you know, the, the dev team has a little celebration. They're having beers in the back because they, they pushed something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't get that when you're at the agency and disconnected. You find out and, after the fact. Yeah, and something broke. Like, Why is SEO down 30% week over week, Matt? And you're like, I don't know. What did you guys touch? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't touch it. SEO radar was saving our butts a lot when we were at the agency level. I do love Google Analytics. I do love Data Studio. Mm-hmm. I've got to present to C-suite teams, and they are not going to understand an Excel sheet uh, or my gobbledygook of SEO. I have to put it into dollar signs and up and to the right. Yep. Uh, up and to the right. Up and to the right. And um, you can't get too technical. you got to break it down into how it drives back to revenue and company goals. Um, so I use those kind of tools on a daily basis. Uh, you gotta be an Excel whiz if you want to excel past the, the the associate into the manager level and, and director level. Right, I agree with that, uh, and I, I wish somebody would had told me to learn Excel earlier in my, earlier in my career. Could have saved me a lot of time. Um, best advice for somebody that is getting into SEO in 2019: diversity of skill sets. If you want to both serve yourself and your client as best as you can don't pigeonhole yourself to SEO, only technical, only content. If you want to see self growth in the industry at your agency, at your company or in your future, Um, you can be a one trick pony and you can do it really well. um, But it limits your, there's there's a glass ceiling. Once you get pigeonholed as the tech SEO or the Mm -hmm. content SEO um, you got to be more of a big picture strategy person. And I think like, like we've been talking about the whole time, tie it all back to the client's needs and goals. Mm-hmm. You're not just SEO. You're a channel in which they're getting their message, their brand, their product in front of someone. Uh, and so don't just think of yourself in that way. Think of how you can amplify the work that others are doing and also fit the needs of what your channel needs to get done. Um, so diversify and always be learning. If you're not, if you're not always learning in SEO, you're dead. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> got to always be learning and, and keeping up with news. What is um, it like a, a shark always has to stay swimming, right? We're the sharks that exactly. always yes. stay swimming. If you want to be the big shark. Absolutely. So diversify your skill set. Be curious. Don't be afraid to uh, do a lot of research and homework. Don't be afraid that you're not an expert in one particular section or, or kind of SEO or uh, subject matter. Seek out those individuals uh, to educate yourself. There's so much to learn now. Whereas when you and I were coming up in this stuff, it was a lot of trial and error. See what's working. Pull it apart yourself. 
lose your pride too. Don't be afraid to ask. I Don't absolutely be afraid to ask. Um, I pull stuff on a daily basis still. Yeah, sometimes that's how I how I how I am able to give somebody an answer to a question. Um, so, one, thank you for um, staying on this long. One of my probably longer longer interviews, I would Uh-oh. say. Uh, no, that's great. A uh, lot of lot of good um, conversation. But I, I, you know, as a as a as a family man myself, I know like what this is probably going to do to your tomorrow. You're probably going to go in with red eyes because you stayed up and talked to me for an hour and a half at ten o'clock at night. Um, so I fully appreciate that. And uh, where can the audience find you? They want to look up Mr. Matto Such and connect with you. Where can they find you? I'm easily discoverable on LinkedIn um, and Twitter. Uh, I believe my handle on LinkedIn is just slash Matthew.osuch. Um, my Twitter account is at MDOsuch, which is O-S-U-C-H. Um, and uh, I used to have like a video channel on YouTube. I don't do it anymore. Um, that's about it. I mean, I, I willfully will accept your, uh, you know, uh, your your messages and your friends and shares and likes on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I have no shame on LinkedIn. Apparently, I have a large amount of people that I just hit yes to. Um, but uh, I'm I'm always looking to educate and help individuals in the industry. Uh, whether you're up and coming or you're experienced individual, I mean, um, it's exciting. It's I can't believe I still get paid to do this, Jake. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's fun and exciting for me every day. Yeah, no, I agree. I, um, when I tell my story, I, for me, it was such a weird, weird path to what I'm doing today. And, uh, I'm thankful every day because I, I didn't, not like you can go to school for this. It's not like when I grew up in elementary school, I want to do SEO, um, flamed out in a lot of other things, but luckily caught on with this and it's become a, become a career and, um, couldn't be more thankful. Think about that a lot. Agree. Cool, man. So, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Happy to be here, Jake. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for listening to the Page Two Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can listen and rate it on a number of platforms, including Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Applecast, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and more. If you wish to support the growth of this podcast, please visit my website at jacobstoops.com forward slash page two podcast or Anchor.fm forward slash page two podcast to make a donation would be greatly appreciated. If you're an SEO who would like to be interviewed, I'd love to have you. Simply send me an email at jake.stoops at gmail.com and we'll absolutely set something up. Until next time, happy optimizing.